Welcome back to episode 83 of Warrior's Den. On this episode, we have Ron Rotem. That name may not sound familiar to you if you are not in Israel, but Ron is well known in the Israel Kramaga community. But before I get into that, this podcast is brought to you by Urban Tactics Kramaga, turning lambs into lions since 2013. Specialize in Kramaga self-defense, general martial arts, and of course, critical thinking and more. Did you know we have a blog where you can hear some more coherent, well-thought-out ramblings of me and some of my students or uh, instructors at utcamblog.com. You can also find various ideas and principles that we teach. Now, if you like this podcast, you can support us in many ways. You can follow us on Instagram at Urban Tactics Kramaga. You can follow us on Twitter, Urban Tactics KM, though mostly it's reposts of everything else. And of course, Facebook, Urban Tactics Kramaga. You can also go to that blog again, utcamblog.com, and click on the Support Us uh, tab at the top if you'd like to donate to us to help further our cause of giving you information or my rantings, whichever you prefer, whatever it is you like. I don't know. No one ever tells me. We'll find out one day. Uh, You can go to that page and donate whatever you'd like. Or if you want something a little more tangible for your money, you can go to utkmu.com and you can see the curriculum as we teach it. Right now, it's the only beginner and novice curriculum uh, as... I'm running around doing all sorts of stuff to survive, as is the world in COVID, as a martial arts instructor. So if you want to see more content or me focus on that, I need to see that people want to see it. Otherwise, it's just for my students to check before they test. Just the saying, if you have a test, you should be checking out the curriculum to make sure you have all the finer points. That's utkmu.com. It's nothing special or mind-blowing other than how I present the information. So whether it's just to supplement your current Kramaga training or to get a different idea of how curriculum can be presented or what techniques that I'm teaching, you can just check it out, utkmu.com. You can sign up for a month or longer. It's totally up to you. And there is some free content, though it is limited, such as your uh, PAL information if you're not in Canada the PAL is your firearms license so there is some videos to help you prepare for your PAL course whether you're taking it with me or not which brings me to my next thing if you want to do your firearms licensing course with us you can go to our regular local website which is from Metro Vancouver www.urbantacticskm.com and if I didn't mention that's where you can sign up for our classes because as of a couple days we can start doing them regularly and you can sign up but so if you go urbantacticscam.com and click on the cfsc slash crfsc i might change that to pal because it's easier whatever and you can sign up for our pal courses the firearms licensing is required if you're a student of mine in canada and want to do the advanced curriculum or if you want to have firearms in canada because they are allowed in Canada, despite what Americans think and the media seems to keep telling people. At the very least, if you just want to get educated on Canadian firearms laws and they turn out to not be what you thought they were because we are not somewhere else in the world, you can educate yourself. Uh, Plus, learn basic safe firearms handling. 
You can do that. And of course, sign up for our classes at urbantacticskm.com, new student page, which should be opened up soon to you so you can sign up without having to go on the wait list. Yay, we're getting over those COVID nonsense. Um, What else? Ooh, a shameless plug. Uh, if you want to see my less serious, less philosophical, less existential slash Krav Maga uh, personality, I have launched a new YouTube channel with my partner called Joe and John Do Stuff. That is another way you can support us. That may be a bit more entertaining for some of you that are into the YouTube. It's basically us doing stuff from DIY, renovations, cooking, whatever, because we're jack of all trades and we get bored and do stuff. That's kind of the general idea. So if you need something a little different and you still like me, if I haven't pissed you off yet, you can go to Joe and John Do Stuff on YouTube. Much appreciated. Okay, back to Ron Rotem. So Ron uh, is an admin on the Facebook page Kramaga History and Culture, which has over 10,000 members, which... May not seem like a lot, but considering you can barely get all the Krav Maga people together in one room, I would say 10,000 members is actually a really good uh, group. And there's a lot of the top people in there uh, and sharing history of Krav Maga photos, etc. That's what got my attention to Ron originally. And uh, something we actually discussed about how it's really confusing for non-Israelis who don't grow up in the Krav Maga culture in Israel to understand what's going on in Israel and how it works there because it's very different than how it may work in your country, which actually allows a lot of fraudsters from Israel to go around the world and start selling stuff because they couldn't make it in Israel and they go around selling nonsense. Everyone in Kramaga at the higher levels in Israel knows each other. They all know who's who. They all know what's what. So a page like Kramaga History and Culture uh, is very useful as a base uh page to look at of course they tend to keep the politics out and the behind the scenes stories that some people may or may not have heard are not there because uh, everyone's trying to be polite which is good now ron has his own school uh now called israeli krav maga institute uh with ron rotem and he's doing his own thing now broken away from uh, many of the other groups to which he has previously been involved, which seems to be the trend of people who don't want to deal with these giant organizations that have become more bureaucratic than anything and not naming names or anything. And neither does Ron. He's good at that. Uh, his tagline on his Facebook group, because he doesn't have a website yet, is just so Israeli Kramaga Institute uh, with Ron Rotem. You can find it on Facebook. And the tagline is, it's better to be a student of reality than a master of illusion." And that's one thing that some Kramaga people, again, not pointing it to anyone, may have forgotten about reality. Now, something Ron said, which was very interesting, is that there's two components to a good Kramaga program, the self-defense and the combatives. And Kramaga has gotten really good at the self-defense, as in 10 to 30 second situation, fight for your life, get out or end the threat and has fallen behind on the combatives being the kickboxing, boxing, footwork, wrestling, judo, jiu-jitsu, all the other aspects of when you, you can no longer uh, just run, you don't have a gun, and you have to get good com combatives. And that's something that often a lot of people in the greater martial arts world have picked up about Krav Maga, and it's given us a black eye a little bit. 
So hopefully some people wake up and realize in your crowd program, you got to diversify. You got to teach a little bit of everything. And you got to keep it simple. You can't lose those self-defense principles. Otherwise, it's hard to call it Krav Maga. So I found this podcast super fascinating because there's a lot of the Krav Maga history I've missed or been uh, misinterpreted or whatever because a lot of the information isn't available in English and my Hebrew is garbage. Uh, so there's that. Uh, so the first little bit is very much about history of Krav Maga and how Krav Maga works in Israel. So if you're a Krav Maga student, this is one for you because it's not what you think it is. Um, and then we sort of talk about our Krav Maga philosophies and our approaches. Uh, and so I think this is an uh, amazing listen if you are a great Krav Maga student of any kind, of any organization. And I want to point out that the time difference between where I am and Israel is horrible. I got up at just before 2 a.m. my time to sit down and have this conversation with Ron. Took a little bit of scheduling. So if there's anyone else in the Krav Maga world in Israel that wants to talk to me about Krav Maga and martial arts, I am clearly more than happy to get up at ridiculous hours to have that conversation with you. But this one is with Ron Rotem. So enjoy this episode. Episode, episode. Okay, I know that's so dramatic. Anyways, here it is. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucididi, your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions. Okay. Welcome. Excuse me. A little late where I'm recording, so my voice is going to be hoarse, but that's okay. Uh, welcome back. I'm here with uh, Ron Rotem. He's an uh, Israeli Krav Maga instructor, uh, admin of the Facebook group Krav Maga History and Culture, and uh, instructor at uh, the Krav Maga Institute, Israeli Krav Maga Institute. How are you today? Very good. Thank you. Awesome. Good for the opportunity. Yeah, of course, of course. I, I'm actually, I just, I love the uh, the history of Krav Maga, and I found found your Facebook group, and it uh, it's a very interesting topic because you know, I, being in North America, unfortunately, a lot of people don't really know the details of the history of Krav Maga. We kind of know, but it's it's you know lost in translation a little bit or in myth or ethos. But before we get into that, I thought we'd start about uh, how did you get into Krav Maga originally. Okay, so I'll start uh, by saying that uh, in 1995, I uh, met my uh, Krav Maga instructor mm-hmm. while I was chasing uh, a guy who was a Krav Maga student. 
Yeah. And we had a little conflict between uh, the two of us. Yeah. And I got uh, by mistake to his gym. Mm. And uh, in that gym, the instructor, my instructor, Erez, he was there and he told me, if you want to fight, put on the boxing gloves and now you will fight. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> we did not fight. Uh, that guy left the Krav Maga class in about uh, six months mm. and I stayed. Yeah. So, and uh, went from there? Uh, <laughs> so uh, from there, I uh, went on with uh, Krav Maga. Uh, in 1999, I did my uh, two instructor courses. In Israel, we have to do an assistant instructor course. It's mm. about uh, the uh, green belt level. Mm. That course, uh, I was privileged enough to do it with Elia Bigzar. Ah, Elia oh, yeah, Bigzar yeah. Uh, is one of uh, Imi's uh, top students, a guy with a lot of history and mm. uh, contribution to the Krav Maga world mm. and to the martial arts here in Israel. Yeah. And in, uh, in about, uh, yeah, also in 1999, I did the instructor course. In Israel, mm. it's one month, uh, like in a boarding school. Yeah. And uh, also I did it with Elia Vigzar and uh, his top student, Avia Besidon. Mm. So uh, I guess in that point, I just learned Krav Maga for a few instructors and had the chance to understand that Krav Maga is a little bit different depending on the instructor that is uh, teaching it to you. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think in 2001, I uh, went to the army. I... uh, in Israel, it's mandatory service. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, I was already a black belt in Krav Maga. And uh, I joined the uh, anti-guerrilla unit in Israel. It's uh, like a special infantry uh, forces. And over there, also, in one point, they taught the guys how to shoot and how to uh, do Krav Maga. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Israeli defense forces, you have to do, even if you are a Krav Maga instructor from the civilian life, you have to do a secondary course which is the Army Krav Maga. Mm. And uh, I saw that the Army Krav Maga is quite different than the civilian Krav Maga. Mm. So uh, this is a marker for me. When I uh, left the Army after three years, I uh, continued with my Krav Maga path. And uh, I joined the Israeli prison service. Uh, I'm jumping from time to time. I had more uh, things, uh, you know, between. No, we'll cover it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So to cover the main things, I uh, joined the Israeli uh, uh, police, Israeli sorry, uh, prison service, mm-hmm. and uh, in the Israeli prison service, uh, I uh, was the head of the self-defense uh, studying, and there I saw that again we have different Krav Maga. Yeah, it's not the same Krav Maga that we have in the civilian life. It's not the same as the army Krav Maga. Yeah, it's for the prison service. It's something yeah. different. So uh, from that point on, I think uh, my life changed a bit. I started researching Krav Maga, and it's important to say because I forgot to say, in the army, I after I uh, left the military service, I came back and I was the head of the Krav Maga section for the Israeli mm-hmm. Defense Force, yeah. which is the same role that Imi, the yeah. founder of Krav Maga, did, and Elia Vigzar did. They filled the, that role. Uh, it wasn't exactly the same role because it was something else back then, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. So I saw that Krav Maga can have many faces as I early recognized when I uh, did it uh, as a young uh, boy. And uh, I started researching it and I had the privilege to know Hebrew because I live here. 
Yeah. And to know most of the guys, uh, we all live here in Israel. In the center of Israel is most Krav Maga school. So if you live here and you're really involved in Krav Maga, you will know everybody. You can talk with everybody. You can train, train with everybody. So uh, I started uh, doing it uh, my own way, starting to understand what, what was missing in Krav Maga, what was his benefits, and uh, the weak links of Krav Maga. Mm. Because when you teach it in the army or in the Israeli prison service, you take a guy or uh, it doesn't, mean, uh, it doesn't uh, make a difference if it's a girl or a boy, if it's a man or a woman. It's to take someone who knows something You only have a very, very short period of time to make him better. Mm. And I noticed that when you take a guy that, uh, let's say, did some boxing, classic boxing or uh, Muay Thai, and you teach him Krav Maga, he became very, very good. Let's say as good as a black belt in Krav Maga, as a person that did Krav Maga for many years. And he only did, let's say, one month of Krav Maga. And one month, when I say one month, it's, the biggest security course that there is of mm. Krav Maga. Yeah. So it made me, uh, made my approach a bit different. Uh, as the most people know, Krav Maga builds out of the two subjects, self-defense, which mm. is the main subject, and hand-to-hand combat. Mm. With time, Krav Maga became very, very good in the self-defense object. Yeah. But, became uh, maybe the hand-to-hand combat section was a little bit neglected. Yeah. So we know self-defense very good. We know how to handle ourselves in a conflict. If someone is coming and he's punching, you only one punch and you did the self-defense drill and you managed to do it. Wow, we are very good. Maybe you de-escalate and maybe you manage to, uh, you know, cut off the distance, get away and so on. But what will happen if you have to move on? person will not fall from the first or second punch. Now you have to fight. Yeah. Maybe you are fighting a professional. Those tools, for me, were something that's missing. And it made me do my research and training, uh, boxing and other stuff to fill in the missing uh, links. Uh, the way I saw Krav Maga. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. And, and that could be part of the confusion. Um, I mean, even like uh, you doing it in Israel, right? With the origin of Krav Maga, there's, you said, you know, three different types you learn under th- of different organizations. Uh, and this, this is actually probably why it's so confusing in North America, because it's all, all sorts of organizations here uh, that often lose touch with Israel because they can't keep up with all the changes in Israel. You know, I've trained with multiple organizations myself, um, uh, all with different styles. And whenever I'm explaining to my students that, you know, I can see their eyes just like they don't care. Um, it's actually from, you know, a business perspective why I just kind of did my own thing, uh, like many people are doing in North America, because it's, the students here don't care what organization, you know, they just want to come and learn. And, and I actually had the similar experience. You know, I started with the traditional organization, you know, with the, the set curriculum. And I, I just figured it, it's too much if I'm going to try to do that short time span. And then I took away all the curricula, all the techniques that I thought weren't the best. And then same sort of realization was that combat skills weren't there. So I started integrating the wrestling and the judo and the uh, the boxing as needed to fill up, you know, the little gaps uh, to build people up. And then 
I still encourage my students to do jujitsu or boxing or uh, kickboxing. Go go train with the professionals, so so they fill in that gap. So it's it's very interesting to hear that you know in Israel people have the exact same conclusion you know from the traditional days. Because I mean I don't know how many organizations there are in Israel anymore, let alone <laughs> let alone the rest of the world. Um, and I think that could be the confusion for non Kramaga people. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I've noticed online recently, like people are going after Krav Maga in the last two months, three months. For a reason, I don't know. It's probably related to the war, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's fascinating. Um, what else can you expand? Like the difference, because you mentioned you saw differences uh, between the military and the security and the uh, civilian aspect. What what specific differences did you notice uh, through your journey? Well, I think this is a time for us to speak about history mm. in order to understand what happened here in the military and the differences between the military, the Israeli prison service, civilian Krav Maga, Israeli police. I'm specifically speaking about the Israeli security forces because these are the ones that I know mm. and these are the force or these are the source of Krav Maga in many yeah. aspects. Because when Imi uh, joined the army, he was a Kapap instructor. Kapap is a Krav Panim El Panim, hand-to-hand combat. This is the former name of the military style fighting. It was a very strict method. They had manuals and they had their curriculum for the army. In 1953, I think, uh, when Imi was just a regular instructor in the army, he was in charge of like like a squad of three guys, three instructors, their job was to take Krav Maga, to take the face-to-face combat and to create something more suitable for an army. Because before the establishment of the state of Israel, we had like resistant forces, Jewish resistance forces, underground forces that protected the Jewish settlements here uh, in the land of Israel. And after the establishment of the country and after the independence war, we had an army. Now it's an army, it's different. So he changed it, and the name that was given to it was Krav Maga. Mm. So no longer Kapap, now it was called Krav Maga. But since people were uh, regular to the name, you know, they're accustomed to the name Kapap, they continued to call it Kapap for many, many years. But in the army, the headline was Krav Maga. Yeah. When Imi left the army, about 1963, uh, 64, he started teaching. He was a boxer, he was a wrestler, he knew uh, jiu-jitsu, in the European style of jiu-jitsu. And he started training, he had like a flyer, Imi, black belt, the former instructor, of, uh, or the head instructor of the IDF. This was his flyer. Mm. No Krav Maga mentioned. And when you came to Imi to train, you did gymnastics, and you, uh, you didn't have no gi or belts or anything. Gymnastics, jiu-jitsu, some boxing, just like uh, going to a gym today, and when you have MMA and this and that. And with time, people came and trained with Krav Maga. Uh, you can, uh, of course, recognize the name Chaim Zut as one of the first students. Uh, Rafi Garisi. Rafi Garisi and Chaim Zut met Imi in the army as soldiers. So they heard that he opened his gym, they came to train. And Elia Vigdar came to train. And those guys, they trained in army uniforms. And Imi was teaching them the army Krav Maga, what he knew. Yeah. But they were very dedicated to the subject. 
and they asked Imi a lot of questions and more people came in. Imi was very charismatic and very well known. So time, uh, step by step, it became a system. Imi started writing all the drills that he wants and he said, wow, okay, I need to divide it into sections. So he saw judo, he had judo in his gym and he saw the, uh, the belts and the gi. Most of his guys training judo with Imi in Krav Maga or whatever Imi taught and in judo with other instructors. So they became, you know, proficient in judo and Imi started taking the belts and he said, okay, yellow belts, I don't know about judo, but yellow belts, Krav Maga, it will be this, 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 and this. And they got like a yellow page that it was written on and then the orange belt and so on. And they built a system. The system was very, uh, how do I say it in English? It was uh, quite poor. Hmm. It was like taking stuff from all over the place with, uh, for me, with a lot of DNA from boxing and started teaching it to take the army Krav Maga and to expand it in order for people to learn it for, uh, without uh, being bored for a long time. Imi had a vision, but the vision was not so clear mm. and it, uh, as I see it. In uh, the late 70s, Krav Maga was a system on its own. A lot of students, very big in Israel. And Israel was, uh, let's say, a young country. We had judo, we had karate, and we had Krav Maga, mm. nothing else. And uh, Imi created like an association, the Israeli Krav Maga Association. Mm. Uh, because this was what was done in Israel in order to get funds from the state, to make it easier. And in the beginning of the 80s, Elia Vigza joined the army, joined the army as the uh, head of the Krav Maga section. Mm-hmm. He was the Imi's top uh, student at the time. And Imi said, okay, they want a, a serious guy. He was very much involved in the army. He said, okay, Eli, you will join the army. And Eli joined the army. In that point, the Krav Maga in the army was very similar to the one that was being taught outside of the army. Very, very similar. If you knew the army Krav Maga, you pretty much knew the civilian Krav Maga. Hmm. In the end of the 80s, the Israeli Krav Maga Association broke off. Eli left and uh, he left with a lot of students to create his own thing, his own organization, the Israeli Krav Maga Association. He just changed one letter in Hebrew in order to make it different from the original association. He was in very good relationships with Imi, but he he said, I want to do my own things. I don't want people to interrupt. I was the head of the uh, Israeli Defense Forces Krav Maga section. I know what I'm doing. He was also a black belt in judo, a black belt in Aikido. He felt like he knows his stuff. Mm. And uh, the Israeli Krav Maga Association became something different it was uh, starting to spread out outside of Israel. In 81, by the way, it was spread out to the US by uh, an American philanthropist uh, who created SlimFast. You remember SlimFast? Vaguely. I have not heard that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the main thing. I, uh, I don't know. He sent it with, uh, I think it was something like a billion dollars. Mm. The company was, he was a very rich man. And he told Imi, I would like you and uh, all your top instructors to come to the US and to teach Krav Maga, to make yeah. people aware of Krav Maga. And they did it. And it was uh, originally only for the Jewish communities. 
and they also introduced it to the FBI, according to the legend, the police, CIA, and so on. And someone started to stay there to teach it. And in a while, a few instructors, Darren Levine is one of them, mm. uh, Ellen Feldman, uh, Rick Bilstein, they came here to Israel and they uh, started doing the first foreign instructors, Krav Maga course here in Israel. I think it was three months. Yeah, that's the famous photo, Krav- right? There's that yeah. famous photo that everyone always shares everywhere, right? Yeah. 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 In, the, in Israel, nobody noticed that they have like a special course because, you know, people here are living their lives. And some of them didn't even speak English. So, okay, there are foreigners here. Okay, well, the foreigners will train. We will train uh, next to them. Nobody cared back then. Yeah. But when Krav Maga left Israel, it became something different because people asked questions. Why is Krav Maga uh, guys are with uh, white belts? They have like, uh, sorry, white geese and they have belts. Mm. So in, here in Israel, we said, okay, we I'm saying we said, but I wasn't even... Uh, <laughs> 10 years old at the time, yeah. but so people asked questions. They said, okay, maybe we need to change the white gear to something more suitable for an Israeli system, for a restaurant system. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should uh, change the uniform to something more suitable for daily life here in Israel in the, and in the West. Famaga became different. And as I mentioned before, after Elia Vigza left to do his own thing, uh, Eyal Yanilov and Shaike Barak also top IMI instructors. Uh, they started changing the method. They wrote the famous black book, mm. and it was very different from the original Krav Maga uh, syllabus that Imi created. Of course, Imi approved that book, and Krav Maga became a bit different. With time, Krav Maga also returned to the same path, and I will tell you why. Because most of the Krav Maga instructors here in Israel, they will also be Krav Maga instructors in the army. Mm. So we have like a, a gathering, a meeting in the army. We meet each other. And then from the army, we live again, teaching it to civilians again. Almost all the time, we're interwined. Everything mm. has, a, you know, a unique touch because everything here is very small. And, you know, you train with everybody. So I think even though Krav Maga took different paths, in the end of the 90s. Now, you know, as you said, even in the US and other places, people are starting doing the same thing. They take Krav Maga and they go deep. They say, okay, if you know how to move and how to punch, maybe we need to add some more boxing to be more proficient in fighting. If you know how to kick, okay, Muay Thai guys, they kick best. Maybe we should learn a bit from them because Imi was not a Muay Thai fighter. When mm-hmm. he added kick, it was like he was a movement genius. He know how to look at stuff and to take it to his own Krav Maga. Yeah. But as long as Krav Maga saw different things, the Krav Maga teachers saw different things, Krav Maga became more deep, but more wide. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know so, that's uh, <clears throat> it's fascinating. Like the, some of the stuff you mentioned, like I don't even know because a lot of it's not in English and, you know, uh, when I when I ask people, sometimes it's the he said, she said kind of thing. No, 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 no. He said this. No, that's not what really happened. You know, like the whole uh, IKMF, KMG, IKMA split. And I have I, I noticed that there was a time when a lot of the information on the websites kept changing. So I'm like, I can't even uh, keep track of it. So it's uh, it's very uh, it's insightful to sort of get a quick, like a very quick, short 
explanation of that sort of progress because it's confusing as hell for us over here in North America, let alone Israelis. <laughs> when I'm telling you the story, in my mind, in the back of my mind, there are a lot of things that I'm not mentioning. Hmm. And this is why I'm saying to you and everybody that will listen to this podcast, there are a lot of missing links, even in what I'm saying. Yeah. Because we are talking about people. Yeah. You no, know, there are a lot of people that contributed to Krav Maga. And everybody has his own angle. And ah, uh, this wasn't exactly like this. And he was not really Imi's student. Yeah. He was his student. It doesn't really <laughs> matter. But it exists. Yeah. It's like the uh, some people I've trained with, they they kind of say like, oh, Emmy didn't really create it because they're they're focused on that kapop aspect. And like, oh, it, there were people in Israel before him. And so I, I kind of got around that by saying, listen, he's the founder of modern Krav Maga. Yes, there were people before him. Can we just stop arguing about this? <laughs> and you know, <laughs> it's funny because when I started uh, learning Krav Maga, my father, my father is 73 years old, hmm. maybe 74 now. And he told me, ah, oh, I know Kapap. Let me yeah. teach you some moves. <laughs> and I started Krav Maga. I know. He, he know how to handle himself, like in the basic moves and so on. People knew how to fight. In everywhere that you go and people had to fight for their lives, they knew how to fight. But Imi, he took that fighting. And like you said, he created something a bit different or maybe more organized. Mm. But he created it. A lot of the guys that people are mentioning from the Kapap world, they were here when Imi created Krav Maga. Some of them said, okay, Imi, he's like a professional, he's a boxer, he's a wrestler. We did Kapap, you know, because we had to. They yeah. didn't teach it to civilian people. It wasn't very interesting to them. Yeah. Kapap just re-emerged in the 90s or maybe even a decade later when Krav Maga became famous and mm. widespread. Kapap re-emerged and said, okay, we are the source, but the basic Kapap is very poor. And the mm. basic Krav Maga is very poor. It's very different than the things that we see today, both in Kapap and Krav Maga. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, the belts, because uh, I know there's the two main, well, three ideologies, I would say, the people who go with the belts, people who go with the patches, and people who say you shouldn't have ranks at all. Now, I went with uh, belts because I think more people globally uh, understand what a black belt is and, and, and what a you know yellow belt is. Patch system, I find it's, it's a bit confusing to people. Uh, and then there's the people who say no ranking at all because no ranking at the streets. Now, my opinion on that is, well, human beings like gold stars and they also need to have a sense of progress. So, you know, even if that is true, because, uh, you know, a belt is more of a milestone than necessarily a skill. Um, what are your thoughts on ranking and progression? Well, I, I totally agree. Uh, in Israel, belts were a, a big issue. People only recognize belts. When they come to the Krav Maga gym, although Krav Maga is kind of famous outside of Israel, here is something like, you know, the local view. Mm. So people will uh, enter a karate gym and they will ask the instructor, is this Krav Maga? And they will come to the Krav Maga gym and they will ask the same, is this karate? They mm. don't really know the difference. Yeah. So some say, okay, we'll be with the belts in the traditional Krav Maga way. And everybody will understand because everybody knows what a black belt is and a white belt. Mm. And some say, uh, exactly as you mentioned before, grades are very important, but we don't want belts. We want something different. 
We want people to recognize the fact that Krav Maga is different. So we have patches here, mm. here, no matter where. Yeah. I like the patches system better because for me, Krav Maga is part of the Israeli culture mm. and belts, although are more familiar, and it's very easy to buy them in, uh, you know, in the store. In Israel, it's very hard to manufacture patches. Mm. <laughs> belts are very easy to acquire. Yeah. But I don't want a guy to enter my gym and it will look exactly the same as the karate gym. And I don't want people outside of Israel to see the belts and they will say, ah, Krav is exactly like karate because it's not. It's something different. Mm. And the degrees that I use are exactly uh, like the color system of belts. Yeah. But for me, it helps emphasize the fact that Krav Maga is a bit different. Something yeah. different, different culture. Yeah. But to say the truth, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. If a guy that works with me will say, Ron, listen, I live in Spain, for example, and I think that belts are better, I will say, okay, use the belts. Yeah. For me, it's the same, but grades are very important for me as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, because I, I studied a bit of psychology and I, I you know, if you... If you don't give people something, people will, as you mentioned, you actually mentioned like it, we need to sort of expand it. Otherwise, Krav Maga gets boring. <laughs> like if you're teaching the same self-defense, you know, forever, it does get boring. And so in order to keep people's interest to the point where they can develop the skill to to realistically be able to defend themselves in more situations, it, I, I feel it's it's a necessary thing to have some kind of, you know, rankings because humans will be humans whether we like it or not. <laughs> no, yeah. It's like a candy. Because I practiced boxing and it was very funny because uh, one of the guys, he's the national Israeli champion for 10 years mm. and he came to train with me in Krav Maga. And he was not with a Krav Maga uniform and he started punching. And most of my guys are with daily clothes, only with the t-shirt of Krav Maga. And we have like here the, the degree, you know, the brown, uh, like a brown, a brown patch or so on, like a mark on the yeah. shirt. And that guy started doing shadow boxing and the new guy came into the gym and he told me, please you know, ask me, please explain about the system and, you know, the level, the degrees. And he pointed out to the national boxing champion. He said, okay, I understand. This is a black belt, but what are those? And he pointed out to different students yeah. and that guy from boxing never trained in Krav Maga. It was his first lesson, yeah. but that guy that came in he saw him moving. He said, okay, this is Krav Maga. This is a black belt. Because he saw how good it is. Yeah. So you enter a boxing gym in, a, you know, like one minute you understand who knows his stuff, who's learning and so on. But for, let's say, people that are doing martial arts for twice a week, not as a profession, those people, they need those markers. Mm, they yeah. need it. It helps them. Some of them, when they get their black belt, they say, I don't want the belt anymore. Okay, yeah. now I'm not interested anymore. Yeah. It happens. But yeah. it's like, like maturity. It takes time. And the belts yeah. help. Yeah, I know. And that's that's an interesting sort of thing is that the, the professional or the athlete versus the average person. Uh, and I always have to remind people that, you know, if I... Yeah, I'm teaching to like, I could be teaching to a soccer mom, you know, or I could be teaching to an athlete and I have to train them all at the same time. And that I find is a, is a, is a difficult task for a lot of instructors to make that realization that I need to come up with a way to teach everybody without, without uh, making it too difficult for one group, but boring for the other group. Now, I've found 
Uh, every once in a while, I'll get some someone who's an amazing athlete and they have a fighting background and they get bored. They, they don't want to train because it, the, the, the sort of skill set of the average person, they're used to training with, with professionals and they, they don't see the value in the self-defense aspect because they don't feel challenged. And it's an always an interesting uh, dyna- dynamic to try to, uh, to try to manage, right? You get that a lot in Israel, or is that just a North American thing? <laughs> no, no. In Israel, it's the same. It's the same, yeah. and, you know, you, you see a guy, he wants to train in Krav Maga, and he's, also, he's very good. He knows how to punch. He knows how to kick. He will not teach him how to punch and how to kick, because he already came with that knowledge. Yeah. And now you need to take the self-defense aspect and to make it interesting to him. Mm. So, you know, to have, like, uh, him wanting to stay, to learn more, as you said. It happens here a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, because I can see like some organizations in Israel or North America, you can see they really tailor to the, the athletes and then some tailor to like, you know, the soccer moms as I'll call them. And it's all over the place. Now, <clears throat> I think one of the issues th- that I have in the Krav Maga world as a whole, and uh, it could be part of the reason that there is sort of a bad, bad uh, look to it is the, the whole instructor thing, right? Because you were saying that it takes what a month or two months sort of in israel to get a proper instructor certification um but then there's organizations hey come for a four-day course after six months of training here's your instructor thing which drives me nuts you know i think you need to have a minimum of a couple of years experience at least you know in the system that you're teaching at least uh and it's just creating quality control issues and, and it's a well-known sort of thing right now what do you think about that whole situation? <laughs> a few years ago, uh, I, I was very upset about that. I started mm. traveling the world, teaching Krav Maga, and I was really upset about Krav Maga. I said, okay, in Israel, the level is quite good in most places because it's close to the source. Mm. But when you travel around the world, you see very bad things sometimes. So I try to create like a forum of senior Krav Maga instructors uh, through the Winkate Academy College. You have like the academia in Israel to control it. Uh, so people that will take like the instructor course here or by that academic college, you have to do it the proper way. But it was not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very hard to do it. And uh, then I understood that, you know what? You cannot control it. Mm. uncontrollable you can only control yourself you control the guys that you work with and if you're a professional and you you know people are coming to you and say okay you'll do the uh, you will train for two months and now you'll do the five days instructor course and now you go teach you need to understand that it's not good and mm. if you're a student and you you seek out a, a good teacher you have to understand that a good teacher is the one that didn't only train for two months and did the five things a dating instructor course and of course it's very hard to you know say to someone who doesn't know martial arts okay you need to search for this and that but there is no other way you cannot control it because every time someone will emerge and you will do the same thing like a uncontrollable uh, business environment yeah everybody yeah. should do their own thing and to do it is the best that they can yeah i found um at least from what I've seen, I haven't done. I wish I could do more courses, uh, but you know, money, time, travel—it it gets expensive. Um, the, the, there's a focus often on the 
the technical proficiency rather than the actual instructing, right? Um, now, I, I have not done the two months, one month course or a Wingate. Um, is there a lot of like teaching components in those courses or is it more about, hey, well, we want to see technical proficiency? No, most of it are emphasis on the uh, teaching abilities because to do the instructor course here in Israel, you have to be a black belt in order to get the, the degree or to get the diploma for the because for the uh, that instructor course because this is uh, something that the state created. It's not only about Krav Maga. You go and you do a basic martial arts instructor course. Yeah. If you train in karate, you will do it. With the other guys, everybody together, they will learn anatomy, physiology, psychology, and so on. And they will learn with like a, like an instructor for their own system. There will be someone from karate. He will teach them karate mm-hmm. for, let's say, a week out of the, the three, uh, sorry, for the one-month course. Mm-hmm. They will do a bit karate, but since they are already black belts or brown belts, they will know their stuff. They will know how to do it. Now, you only need to teach them how to teach it. Yeah. Something different. So most of the course is about how to teach what you already know, not about creating you as a better fighter or self-defense practitioner. Yeah. But, you and know, they... I have to say one thing. Mm-hmm. One month, one year, doesn't really matter. By the way, in Israel, you have an instructor course for one month mm. and a coach's course for one year. Even after that coach course for one year, you still don't know how to teach. In order yeah. to know how to teach, you need to teach. Yeah. You teach a lot of people, young people, soldiers, police officers, everybody. Then you start understanding this is like an ancient profession. Uh, ancient uh, profession. Yeah. And it's very hard. So those courses, like, they're just uh, like the V-mark. You need yeah. to do it. But it will not create a good instructor, no matter which course you're going to do. Yeah. I did in my life a lot of Krav Maga instructor courses. Civilian one, Army one, Israeli police service one, the coaches course, and so on and so on. After each course, I became more proficient, but I became good in teaching only after spending time teaching it. Yeah. Spending time living with other teachers. Yeah. You know, seeing people that are training those uh, kind of populations, hearing them, understanding them, this is the only uh, way to do it. Final thing about it, look at doctors. You know, when you became a doctor, mm. after you studied everything in theory, they send you to the hospital. You know nothing, but now you're a doctor, yeah. a medicine doctor, and now you have to treat people. And you see the other doctors, you know, the senior doctors, and you learn from them. You're already a doctor. You can treat people. Do exactly what he does. But still, you have to look at him. You're going to the surgery with him. And you learn how to make that surgery and so on. The same in martial arts and in Krav Maga. He's a good instructor to be with. Stay with him for a very, very long time. Then you will become good in teaching. Yeah. No, it's funny. There was a situation, because I'm in Vancouver, Canada, where... Uh, there was a very well-known, um, let's call him fraud, that uh, for some reason had his headquarters here uh, in Canada for a while. And uh, he had a bunch of instructors under him. And then uh, he got blown out of the water, as they say, where 
hey, you don't call a Krav Maga, you're a fraud, etc., etc. And some of the instructors locally uh, were looking around for a path to getting a new certification because they're like, this is no good. Uh, and they, they learned under some people uh, who kind of just sort of like, here's your instructor certification, but they're like, oh, this is no good either. It's not, it's not good. And then they asked me, hey, can... You know, I'd only been open a few years and they asked, uh, hey, can we become instructors under you? And, and some of these people, you know, they were better martial artists than me by a long shot and, and better uh, just fighters overall. Because I'm mediocre at best, to be honest. And I said to them, you can, but it's going to take you six months to a year because I need you to know how I teach. And I need to know that you can teach because from what I've seen, you can't teach Krav Maga. <laughs> And of course, their response was, I don't want to do that. I'm good. And now, as far as I know, they're not really teaching much anymore because they just didn't want to put in the work. And I, I suspect that's a, a global problem. <laughs> hey, you need to, you know, if I go, if I become an instructor under your organization or ranked under your organization, I'm a white belt under your organization until you tell me otherwise. And if I go to a different organization, I'm a white belt until you tell me otherwise. And people just hate that. <laughs> they don't want to reset. <laughs> you know, it's a big problem. It's a big, big problem. And uh, I can understand those guys, but this is not uh, professional. Mm. If you want to do something good, you have to learn it from the beginning. You take the white belt again. Yeah. And it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Just don't be so serious about yourself. No, no, black belt. I'm a third Dan. I'm this and that. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's for you, for your students. Many of the guys that came to train with me, I have a guy that's training with me. And he, he was a third then in Krav Maga from Europe. Mm. And he told me after he did some training with me, told me, you know what, Ron? I don't want that third then. I want to start from the white belt. And now, uh, unfortunately, because of the COVID situation, he didn't do the black belt exam, mm. but hopefully next year he will come after, I think, five or six years that we're training together. And after he was third then in Krav Maga, and now, only now, he's doing the black belt again. Yeah, yeah. And everybody are very happy about it. I'm happy about it. He's happy about it. His students are happy about it because he's a professional. He yeah. doesn't really care. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good to hear. I was actually supposed to come to Israel last year. COVID happened. Uh, I was going to train with someone and, and, and meet a whole bunch of people. My girlfriend was really excited. She's never been to Israel. Boom, can't go. <laughs> and now we'll see what happens. Things are changing in my life. Hopefully I can try again next year or the year after, but uh, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, I think now, it's very interesting for a Krav Maga practitioner to come to Israel mm. and to train here in Krav Maga. It's like, you know, for me, I travel to Thailand to do Muay Thai. And yeah. I was like, whoa, Muay Thai in the yeah. homeland. It's something different. Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, before, I actually, you know, I served in the IDF. I don't know if you know. I was a uh, Haiti Bhagavati. Um, and before I went over. Nah, Why do we have to speak English all the time? Come on. <laughs> I have not spoken Hebrew in 10 years. And I only learn Hebrew to go. Funny story. So I, I went to Israel. My parents don't speak Hebrew. Uh, I went to Israel. I went to Ulpan uh, in Tel Aviv, you know, two months, started learning. I was getting, it was getting pretty good. Uh, then I went to the army, went to, uh, what's the army Ulpan called again? I'm totally forgetting. It's been so long. Um, 
I'm not sure I ever knew. The, yeah, the, so you know, they send all the Chayalim Bodedim to uh, this place. Uh, maybe I'll remember the name later. Sorry? Kavata Shomer? Uh, no, I'm not, I don't think so. Maybe. I, I, it's been so long. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Anyways, and I start learning in the army Lupan. And then uh, it was mostly about discipline and strict and get up and do this. And we barely even learned any Hebrew. And then we go off to combat. And then almost everyone just spoke English to me. So my Hebrew got worse. <laughs> you know, I was fortunate where I was. I think if, if, uh, if, well, it's good and bad. I think if I went somewhere where they only spoke Hebrew, then uh, I, my, I would speak Hebrew today. But because I spoke English most of the time uh, and Hebrew when I needed to, my Hebrew is gone. And then when I came back, uh, I don't speak here. So every once in a while, you know, I got a phone call the other day, an Israeli woman, you, you know, you speak Hebrew. I was like, not, not enough to sell you on Kravlaka. <laughs> you know, I'll speak English. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you something. Uh, you know Yaron Lichtenstein? Have you heard the name? It sounds familiar, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, one of Imi's top students, and he's yeah. teaching Krav Maga in the same exact way it was taught in the 70s. Mm. With the white geese and the same syllables. And he says that Imi wanted everybody to speak Hebrew in Krav Maga lesson. Yeah. Say the terms in Hebrew. Yeah. And when I first heard about it, I said, nonsense. Imi was not so good in Hebrew. Yeah. And I don't think this is the real story, and nobody knows it from mm. other uh, Imi students. But I noticed that in boxing lessons, for example, the teacher always says, okay, jab, now yeah. cross, step over. You know, he's mixing the Hebrew with English, and he's Romanian. Yeah. <laughs> he's not even, you know, like American or British or something. <laughs> so I guess that Hebrew in Krav Maga is kind of the same. Yeah. To control the language and the professional terms, it makes it easier. Yeah, except in North America, people don't. You know, it's funny in North America, regardless of what it is, I think one of the reasons uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu took off so well is because they didn't do that. They're like, here, choke each other out. Because uh, nowadays, people are just, they, they want to learn, but they don't want to learn uh, the culture or the history, which I, I, I make my students learn the history once they get to, once they stick around long enough and they they like, no, this is what I want to train. I'm like, you're learning the history. You're learning about Israel. You have to. But if I try to force that on people too early, they're like, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't want to learn that. I just want to learn to defend myself. You know, people have this idea of what it is, and then you tell them it's something else. <laughs> they yeah. always get annoyed, right? No, no, I'm using the back door for doing it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not. Uh, people are not coming to my gym to see all the culture and the pictures and so on that I put on because it's nice for me to have all those pictures. And, but when people want to, to know, in a certain point or when I do a certain technique and I tell the history of that technique, it makes people open their eyes and to open mm. their mind about what happened. Why is Krav Maga Krav Maga? Why is it developed in a certain way? Yeah. Because I think it's a good point that I would like to mention about Krav Maga. Sometimes when Krav Maga was developed, they took some of the old syllables and they say, okay, in the all the Krav Maga syllables, they had like 13, 13 options to release from a front choke. Mm. And with time, they took those 13 options and they, you know, like creating the golden key. Mm. Now we have only two, static or dynamic. Yeah. But all of the 13 options are good options. Yeah. 
sometimes I told myself, why? Why did they throw it out so easily? So for me, as a Krav Maga teacher that would like to preserve the system, I took all of those techniques and I found the certain point in which those certain techniques are very good. Mm. Maybe not against the choke, maybe in different situations. Because for me, it's very important to understand what Krav Maga was and where were we going with it. Yeah. Because Krav Maga is a whole system. A person can learn only Krav Maga, in my point of view, and become very good in the street, yeah. in the violent streets or in the street scenarios. It doesn't have to learn Krav Maga, Jiu Jitsu, boxing, Muay Thai. Not everybody are professionals that want to wider their uh, horizons that much. Yeah. But for me, if people ask me, Ron, I want to be a better in Krav Maga, let's say a black belt. Should I add more, uh, three more Krav Maga lessons a week? Hmm. Those guys, I say, no, you need to go deep, not to go wide. In Krav Maga, hmm. you are proficient. Okay, now take the boxing aspect of Krav Maga. You can go and train in boxing. You want to uh, walk with them with your legs? Okay, you can go to, I don't know, a Muay Thai or something else that will create better legs, better clinch, better elbows, and so on and so on. Go deep, don't go too wide. Yeah. Because for me, Krav Maga has to have a certain DNA. If you go too wide, you lose the DNA, you become worse, not better. Yeah. When I looked at Imi's first syllabus, I noticed that most of the drills came from boxing, sidestepping mm. against kicks. Most yeah. of the defenses are sidestepping against kicks. Like in boxing, you cut the distance from kicks to hands because he was a boxer. He was arrested. This is what he does. Yeah. So I took this and now when I think that we have something uh, missing, maybe a new threat that I think that we need to address, I take it upon the boxing DNA. I'm not uh, trying to do it BJJ, you know, let's do this, let's take him down. Because mm. the guys will never be as good in BJJ as they are good in striking. You have to create something that will talk with each other. Yeah. It does not mean that you cannot do it all yeah. the time. If you don't have an answer in boxing, of course, or in the DNA of boxing, okay, go wide. But if you do, try to create it upon the same DNA. Elia Visa had a saying, minimum against maximum. You want yeah. to have minimum techniques, minimum movements, against maximum movements, maximum attacks. Mm. And yeah. uh, I'm trying to live by, by that law. Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, it's. I'm glad to hear that. It's without me, it's kind of where what, how I developed it as well. Like, so one of the areas um, that I found starting Kramaga that was extremely weak was the grappling, right? And at the time, the UFC was uh, becoming very popular, and uh, I had actually just come back from the army, and I was at a bar watching the UFC. There happened to be a, a jiu-jitsu guy there with his posters. Uh, he was a third den, I think, under Megaton Diaz. And uh, I said, okay, I signed up. And, you know, that's where I started my, uh, my journey. Now, at the time when I started my school, I had a, a business partner who had been doing Krav Maga before me. I'd learned from him as well. And he had a judo background. Uh, I think he was a, brown, a blue belt in judo. Um, but we were following an old curriculum. And after a while, I'm like, okay, 
in the curriculum we're teaching, there's no the grappling. There, what is the grappling? And it took me a very long time, both because I needed to understand jujitsu better and grappling, and I needed to teach more and understand Krav Maga. How do I integrate this grappling component in a way that, as you said, sticks, you know, to the principles? Uh, and I, you know, through learning from different people, I, I, my, the, the grappling component that I teach is is basically the positions. Here's the positions. This one's better. This one's worse. Get out. <laughs> Create space and get up. And then I say, you know, even to this day, my students hate the groundwork. They're like, it's so hard. It's so exhausting. And I'm not even doing complicated stuff. And I'm like, well, go do jujitsu because where I teach, there's a jujitsu club with some amazing black belts. I learn under them now, too. And it's like, go, go train with them, you know, but I'm not going to teach a lot of the popular stuff in jujitsu because to me, it, it doesn't apply uh, I'm not going to throw a triangle on someone if they have a knife, you know, even though it's a very high percentage uh, jujitsu stranglehold that works and, and we do them um, for self-defense. To me, it's a very it's going to take, you know, five years for you to be proficient at that technique against most people. So I just I just didn't put it in my curriculum, but I don't stop people from from learning it. Um, how do you kind of approach the grappling aspect in, in your program? Well, in the same way, in the exact way that you mentioned, mm. uh, there are a lot of things that I like to learn for myself to understand it. I did some BJJ and I would like to do more in the mm. future, but I don't find BJJ as something that will stick into Krav Maga's DNA. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of things when you study something, uh, my uh, Krav Maga instructor uh, is also a BJJ instructor. Mm. He was teaching BJJ, purely BJJ once a week. And most of us did not like it. Most yeah. of the senior Kamaga instructors <laughs> did, not, we did it because it's important. It really is yeah. important, but we did not like it and it did not stuck to our Krav Maga. So I guess it's more problematic taking BJJ into Krav Maga. You know, yeah. the, the basic things are very easy. You have to get out of a choke in a Krav Maga way, using some BJJ principles, you know, like the bases and so on. But to give more, will change the DNA of Krav Maga and will make people, as I said before, less good. Yeah, yeah. If you make it too complicated. I remember uh, one of my old instructors, um, I think it was a Bulgarian guy, actually ex-Air Force pilot, very serious, very amazing athlete. And I, the story, I wasn't there, but the story goes, he was teaching at like a YMCA or something or a community club and a very high-level uh, BJJ guy came in. He was teaching, you know, the defense against uh, a rear naked choke, you know, standing rear naked choke, which is it's a good defense. But the BJJ guy, of course, jumped on his back, put his hooks in, which then the defense doesn't work and choked him out. And it's like uh, the Kramaga instructor said, oh, yeah, do it again. He broke the guy's nose <laughs> and they weren't allowed to teach, you know, teach there anymore. And it's it's a very it was, I, that story is just like very humbling, you know, I always revert, like, don't let people get there, you know, because if jujitsu guys are like, oh, if they get your rear naked choke in, you're screwed. And I'm like, you're probably right. So I always take it from a strategic perspective. Why do you let someone get on your back? And just the techniques here, but really don't let that happen. You know, hearing stories like that and a lot of, and a lot of Krav guys, they just have the ego and they're like, nope. My defense works all the time. I'm like, are, are you sure some of these guys are monsters? <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. You know, I have two amazing stories about it from the old school Krav Maga era. 
Elia Vigzar, which was also, uh, as I said before, he was a black belt in judo, a judo instructor. And he went and did some uh, sparring or uh, randori, I think it was, it's called in, uh, mm-hmm. in judo. Yeah. And Gadis Gornik, also a famous uh, martial artist in Israel. And he was a high-ranked practitioner in judo in the world. And he took uh, Eli to the ground and mm. uh, tried to choke him out. And Eli beat off his arm. Yeah. Did a lot of damage. Yeah. <laughs> and when and Imi was there, and he yelled at him, Eli, what are you doing? <laughs> he said, sparring. And Eli said, ah, I thought Krav Maga sparring. <laughs> yeah. I, I apologize. And, yeah. But Imi did not uh, understand, uh, you know, like the clue. And he took Ellie with him to do sparring with uh, some uh, boxers in an Arab city uh, near mm. Netanya, an Arab yeah. city called Taibe. And Ellie is explaining, he said, okay, we are coming over there. And the Israeli Arab champion is working there. And Imi said, okay, now you will spar. Mm. And I was so scared that I kicked him in the nuts. <laughs> and he fell I- down. <laughs> and again, yep. he told him, what are you doing? Ah, sorry. No problem. You know, I did that once. I was, uh, I did Kyokushin karate for a little bit just to explore. Uh, I got more bruises from that, by the way, than Krav Maga ever gave me. And the instructor was like, uh, you know, 220 pounds, six foot uh, Hungarian guy, old school, doing just going and we're doing, you know, full on Kyokushin sparring, you know, bare knuckle, no, no punches to the head. And I'm I'm five six. I can't do meters. Sorry, five six. Uh, you know, 160 pounds. This guy's huge, and he's just going Kyokushin style nonstop. And he's just backing me into a corner, and just without thinking, I kicked him in the groin, and he was down. And I'm like, well, I guess Kramaka works, you know, because I just panicked. Like I could not deal with that kind of power and that kind of size, which is you know why we kicked the groin as an option. It just He's like, yeah, well, good thing I have kids. And he was totally fine about it. He had a good sport, but it just, uh, it just reinforced the, you know, physics. I always tell people you can't cheat physics, but you can if you use biology, kick them in the nuts. <laughs> so, so that's the stories like this all over the place, I think. I think, you know, the problem with those stories is that sometimes people understand those stories as, okay, so we don't have to know how to position ourselves, yeah. how to create the angles, how to cut the distance, because we can just kick to the groin and poke him in the eye. So yeah. I think it's important for us to say that it will help kicking him in the nuts and poking him in the eye. But the, when we train, this is like the cherry, mm. okay, on the cake. This is not the case. If you want to be good, you have to learn how to position yourself, yeah. how to create the angles, how to rope from distance, and to create the, the range and the opportunity. Above all that, of course, you need to train on how to kick people to the vulnerable point using your hands, using your legs, and so on. Yeah. Don't forget it. Boxers oh, yeah, are for not. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. those guys, those professional athletes are very dangerous. They know yeah. how to strike. It's very yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah, we have a, a pretty pretty good MMA uh, scene going on where where I live. So occasionally I can train with some of these. And, and they're, they're animals. And, and I always, you know, regardless of where I'm teaching or what I'm doing, I always, I always ask, like, has anyone here in any style trained or sparred with a professional fighter? 
Because if you haven't, you have no idea what some of these guys can do to you. <laughs> you know, I, I have to tell you a story about that, about my boxing teacher. Yeah. I met my boxing teacher when I was the head of the Israeli Defense Forces Krav Maga section. Yeah. He was also like an officer in an, a whole different aspect of the army, in the Air Force. And we start talking about it with the... Back then, we, you know, we had like phones in the offices, less use of the cellular and so on. Mm, yeah. So we spoke and we spoke and we spoke. And when I met him, he told me, okay, now I want you to spar with my son. Mm. Do you remember the national Israeli champion that I mentioned that yeah. trained with me? Yeah. So this was him. And I started sparring and he said, you can do whatever you want. Kick him in the balls, kick him in the face. He's a boxer. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Yeah. And that guy, although younger than me, I think in about 10 years younger than me. Mm. Wow. It was hard. First of all, it was very hard for me to kick because he always cut the angle. Yeah. And every time I tried to kick him, he yeah. found the spot to hit me. Yeah. And then I thought it was three minutes. A three-minute round, and I'm a Krav Maga guy. I know 30 seconds round, very aggressive round. I don't know three minutes uh, rounds. <laughs> and in the end of the third round, I was, you know, like a mess. Yeah. And he did whatever he wanted. I yeah. tried to kick. I wasn't able to raise my legs. He always closed the distance, and he did whatever he wants. So for me, it was a good lesson. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, be humble. Yeah. The guy trained all his life. Six hours a day. He knows his stuff. He's very yeah. dangerous. Yeah, that's why you you use Muay Thai. Just kick him in the leg. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Imi said, do what you can, but do it right. Know what yeah. you're doing. Okay? Yeah. If it's a boxer, kick him in the legs. If it's a Muay Thai guy now, you need yeah. to maybe kick him in the groin, take something to hit him in the face. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. We have, Krav Maga is like very simple, but it's very hard. You have yeah. to know a lot of areas. Yeah. Because in the street, you maybe two opponents will arrive. Yeah. Maybe one of them will be a professional. You have to know everything enough in order to be able to overcome someone with knowledge in a certain era. Yeah, for sure. Now, one thing I want to get on, because uh, I think you said you have an hour, so uh, like I can go forever, but it's, it's up to your schedule. Um, sort of like the military aspect, because often... Um, People, you know, they'll say, and it just drives me nuts. Like, hey, I was in the IDF. Uh, I know Krav Maga, let me teach you. And I'm like, okay, where'd you serve? What unit? Uh, did you do the instructor course? Were you at, were you at uh, Midkanadam? Were you uh, Special Forces? Like, what, what'd you do? And they'll, they'll say all sorts of say, Oh, you know, I was in Galani. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, how, how many Krav Maga lessons did you do? Oh, you know, this. I'm like, you know, because I was in Givati and I did 10. And I did nothing. I didn't learn anything new that I didn't already know from before. So how good is your there, so there's a it's it's a bit of a myth you know North Americans have especially hey I was in the IDF I know Krav Maga no you know I learned to shoot in army that's that's what I learned I didn't really learn Krav Maga in the, in the infantry um, yeah. so the, the, I found like I actually found that as if a person was in the military and but teaches civilian Krav Maga they're gonna be way better than the guy who just learned in the even the special force guys uh, I had a friend who I'm not sure. What unit he was in, we, we don't know, because he got, he got into Matkal, and he was actually upset because he wanted to be in Sheldag. And he got a phone call two weeks later 
saying, That's hey, come idea. over come over to this unit. He was somewhere in some intelligence unit. So I don't know what it could possibly be. If he got in the mud colony, he went over here. And he used to tell me about his Krav Maga, uh, you know, three hours, four hours, kicking the crap out of it. He came, came, came back to the kibbutz one time with no skin on his forearm. And so you think like, oh, this is crazy good. And then he came to visit me once. And this is early in Vancouver, and this is early in the, uh, my school days, so my students weren't very developed. And I had them sparring against my lower-level guys. And they kicked the crap out of him because his technical ability wasn't there at all. So maybe this is something you want to address because I think it's really important for, for the world audience to, to understand that, you know? Well, uh, I'll start by saying that even if you're in the best unit of the IDF and you have like, a, you know, you know, like a do the van unit, they have a laptop Krav Maga. They're the one that, uh, you know, they take the costume, they become uh, like the Arab population, the Palestinian population. Yeah, it's, uh, Aaron Cohen wrote the book Brotherhood of Warriors on, on Duv Devan. Uh, ah, okay. Got, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's a good unit with a lot of Krav Maga. A lot, yeah. a lot of Krav Maga. Even those guys, they don't know Krav Maga. And why? Because if you take the Israeli army, how many Krav Maga events do you have per year? I mean, an event in which a soldier needed to use Krav Maga to overcome an enemy. You know what? Maybe we have like something like half a million uh, soldiers in the army. Mm. And maybe we have seven events a year that we have to use Krav Maga. How many events do we have in the army that a soldier needs to shoot mm. in the per year? We're talking about thousands of events. Yeah. Thousands. So Kravaga is just a tool to create a better soldier mentally. Mm. Almost no Kravmaga events. No almost no Kravmaga or sorry, almost no events when the soldier needs Kravmaga to overcome an enemy in all Western armies, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So even in the best units of the IDF, when they have the a lot of events, most of them are using pistols. And whatever you, you uh, I don't know, because in the Israeli army, we don't have any special weapons, as you know. Yeah. So they use guns, uh, grenades, pistols in order to overcome an enemy. They don't use their hands. They don't need to. Yeah. But if you look at the Israeli prison service, for example, statistically, we have three stabbing events a day. <laughs> Sounds like a prison. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. And I'm only talking about the events that uh, the uh, prisoners try to stab the prison guards, not the events that prisoners are trying to stab each other. Yeah. So yeah, we have a lot of knowledge <laughs> over there. Yeah. And in, in the army, it's different. They don't need Krav Maga in a high level. And this is why maybe they'll do Krav Maga once a week, for a year, once a week in the best unit, twice a week. Yeah. Sometimes they will do it every day for a short period of time. But most of the army Krav Maga will create a better fighter mentally. He will be more aggressive, more determined. And he know how to overcome an enemy that try to overcome him. Because when you shoot, uh, let's say, a, a target, a paper target, he will not mm. shoot back. But when you try to punch someone and he's punching you back, yeah. Say, wow, I'm punching as hard as I can, but he's not falling down. Yeah. Mentally, it will help you understand that even if you shoot someone, 
he will not fall down. He will keep on shooting you and so on. Mm. So Krav Maga is just another tool to create a better fighter, a better warrior. Yeah. But not technically. As yeah. you said, as you mentioned, most of the time we train on how to shoot, yeah. not how to fight someone with our hands. That being said, the uh, Army Krav Maga instructor courses are very good. Yeah. You have five weeks of course from morning through the late hours of, of the night and you learn how to teach Krav Maga and you learn Krav Maga and you have like a senior course and the senior instructor course is almost, uh, I think, 12 weeks of mm. Krav Maga. And if you go to the senior course, you most likely know your stuff even before you enroll the army, you join the army. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to be, uh, I think this is the message. The army Krav Maga is very good. It's very good in creating mental opportunities and mental uh, abilities. But if you want the technical aspect of Krav Maga, the army has nothing to do with it. Yeah. It will not give you the technical abilities. Technical abilities are a whole different thing. Yeah. To take someone like your friend who did the, you know, he was in special forces, to take him and to create a good fighter technically, it's very easy. Mm. Because mentally he has his stuff in and physically he's very fit. Oh, he was, very... he was, yeah, I've never seen a human like him before. He wasn't <laughs> just another, another species. <laughs> yeah, you never but... even think you'd look at this guy, like geeky looking guy from, uh, from America, you know, decent looking. You wouldn't think anything of it. And the guy, he could put on more weight. I think he told me like, he was obviously in a very specialized unit, whatever they did. Two guys memorize a 100-kilometer route. Each does half the map, you know, 150 pounds on their back, and they would do it no problem, just the two of them from sunrise to sunset or sunset to sunrise. If I did that, I would die. I cannot do that. <laughs> yeah, that's all right, really. Special abilities. Yeah. But for me, it's not the challenge to create a good technical fighter out of those guys. I want to create, as we said before, the soccer mom. I want to yeah. take a soccer mom and to create a good fighter, yeah. a person that can defend himself or mm. his loved one. And to see someone that was, you know, he came to a gym like floppy looking, very scared. And you see him as a black belt. You see a guy, not an athlete, but he knows how, he knows his stuff. He knows how to stand, how to protect himself. You see him talking, you know, with... Uh, a, a lot of confidence and so on and you see this guy and you say wow i changed his life yeah now his life looks different not only in the self-defense aspect but yeah. i'm sure that every aspect of his life is different now because he believed in himself mm. i think this is what basic krav maga does mm. creates a different person this is our goal a better person a more confident person and I think this is the goal, even in sports. Uh, when you take boxing, for example, which is a profession I love, if you go to the right teacher, he will tell you, you will not be a boxer. You you know, you train in boxing like we train in Krav Maga. Mm. You want to be a better person, to have more confidence, but you are not a material for the ring. Mm. You don't want to be the world champion. Don't go to the ring. You can learn yeah. it as, a, you know, like a, like a hobby. Yeah. Don't have to make a profession out of it. So, Krav Maga, this is what we do best. We take yeah. the average people, we give them tools, we create better people. And, of course, if you take a professional, 
you uh, give him all the aspects to how to protect yourself against the daily threats like knives, gun threats, uh, how to handle uh, like a conflict with uh, body language, how to stand when you see the conflict coming towards you and so on. Even though he knows how to protect himself against punches, kicks, wrestling, takedowns and so on, he never spoke about how to stand and where to stand when two opponents are coming towards you, mm. two possible opponents. One of them is with a stick, second one is with a stone. You know, things that we talk about in Krav Maga, we make people think, even though it's a very hard scenario, when you think right, maybe you will know, okay, I see a stone, I see a stick, I see the door, now I know mm. that I have to run yeah. because I don't have a lot of uh, odds to overcome those guys. Yeah. I need to create the distance and run away. Yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to explain. Like some of my friends who are like athletes and they fight semi-professionals, you know, trying to explain that to them, like, yeah, sure, you you can choke me out on the mat, no problem. But like, do you really understand what happens when you got three guys and a weapon? And, and they, you know, they're always, yeah, of course. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> they don't. They really don't. Yeah. Most of them don't want to know. Yeah. Most of them, they say, wow, it's boring. Boring. I don't know, you know, that rubber gun and that rubber knife. I'm not interested in it. You know, Imi, when he was a young kid at the age of 13, his father, Samuel Lichtenfeld, he was a detective. Yeah. He was a homicide detective in the Bratislava police, I think. Yeah. And uh, he told Imi, Imi, I want to check some things on you. He taught self-defense to his detective. He said, Imi, come. I will stab you and you'll do the defense that I will teach you. Yeah. And he, he told his father, Father, stop. It's so boring to me. I want to <laughs> train. I want to box. I want to wrestle. Stop with this. I'm not interested in this democratic ways of fighting. <laughs> this is yeah. what he told his father. He said, I wasn't interested. And now, when he was interviewed by Eyal uh, Yanilo, mm. and Eyal uh, asked him about his father. So he said, now, when I created Krav Maga, I feel bad that I did not discuss my own father about those stuff. Yeah, because back then when I was an athlete, I wasn't interested in those stuff. It wasn't interesting for me. The young guys are always like that, right? <laughs> yeah, and when you grew up, you say, "Wow, okay, maybe I need to think about stuff different." You are a much more calm. You think about others. You are very strong, and you see someone that you love, and he's not as strong as you. He will never be as strong as you. He's mm. weak. He was mm. born weak, maybe with a weak mind. But you want to give him the tools to protect himself. And he wants to learn, but he cannot be a boxer. He cannot be a wrestler. Then you need to adjust your tools to the average guy. And yeah. when you do it systematically, you do it the, the Krabagawa does it. Yeah. Now, do you, do you have to go? Because there's one other thing I want to talk about. I just want to make sure you have time. Yeah, it's okay. I have uh, my time. We ran up when I would see my wife through the door <laughs> doing, you know, like. Okay. Yeah. Just let me know. Um, yeah. The other th the thing that uh, is the firearms aspect of of it, because you know, often on the internet, people who don't know that's they want to learn the gun disarms, they want to learn how to shoot. Now, uh, depending on what country you're in, learning to shoot is can be a challenge sometimes. So a lot of instructors just don't bother, and then they go to teach uh, firearms disarms, and they don't know how guns work. Uh, I've run into this a few times. Uh, I like to use uh, for pistols, Aerosoft pistols, where the magazine comes out. And I've, uh, I've noticed uh, sometimes I go with other instructors, wherever they're trained, 
I know they don't know anything about guns because we'll do the gun disarm and the magazine falls out in the middle of the disarm and they stop and panic and look at it like I broke your toy. And I'm like, why are you stopping? And I just, the, that firearms aspect, because to me, like Kramaga, you have to be able to deal with as many possible situations uh, is an important aspect that is, it's a hard area to, to tackle. Uh, what, uh, how do you think about that? I think that this is actually not that important aspect mm. of Krav Maga. In Israel, we have a, we, we almost uh, won't have any violent situation when people will rob you holding a yeah. gun. But you will have situation that maybe a terrorist will point a gun at you and they will say, okay, come with me to here and there. But even we, uh, even if we have it, if you count the amount of time that it really happened mm. maybe i know in the whole country 10 times in uh, 70 years yeah it's not that common here maybe it's very common in different countries yeah and when someone is pointing a gun at you you are like in the edge of, of stuff it's yeah. important to teach it it's yeah. part of krav maga but you need to understand that the physical aspect of it is not that hard you know, when you train on it theoretically, mm. exactly like, a, I don't know, a, a knife threat, very yeah. similar. In some point, a knife threat is more uh, dangerous than a gun threat, for example. Mm. But when you teach someone how to shoot a gun, and in Israel, as you know, it's very easy because most of the guys here are going to the army. They yeah. already shot a, a rifle yeah. and most of them go to security forces afterwards and they shot a pistol. Mm. And the, the others, they had pistols, you know, like uh, personal firearms and so on and so on. And it's important because you want the people to understand how a gun works. You don't want them to get scared when the guns uh, fire yeah. out the, the bullets. Because yeah. it's like, you know, you hit the boom and you can leave the gun. What the hell just happened here? Yeah. But uh, as I mentioned before, it's, it's less important to me. I, mm. I, I feel that more importantly for me to build someone with a strong mind and i use all the tools to create a strong mind because most of them will not encounter a real life event yeah so i try to give them the best tools for both aspects to create a better person mm. but to give them the technical ability to overcome the common threats and the firearms are part of that threat yeah yeah okay That's, yeah but i don't put too much emphasis on it because I feel that we are like running from the main subject because you're most likely to encounter a punch, a kick and a knife. Yeah. And of course a stick before you will uh, need to address the firearms issues. Yeah. No, I agree. Like I teach the firearm stuff at the uh, higher level. It's like you need to be able to fight first because, you know, you'll see uh, I'm seeing a lot of people uh, making fun of uh, gun disarms on Instagram where they're like, oh, you disarmed and now you're in heaven. And you know, I think there's a misunderstanding about it. It's it's not the technique specifically. It's like you got to distract them. You got the timing. You know what's going on. Uh, do you know how to use the firearm? And there's just so much more to it. If you can't do the basics, as you said, it's don't even try. Uh, and it depends. Can you read? How well are you reading? You know the person. Because uh, you know, I I, I watched this video unfortunately where uh, this guy is a hotel or something. This guy has a pistol over the thing, he's robbing her, and then he got all the money, and then she just sort of sat down and tried to look like that, and then uh, 
he reached over the counter again and then shot her. And, and I was like, that is when gun disarms are useful. Uh, also, it emphasizes this idea. I, it drives me nuts when people are like, if someone's trying to rob you, just do what they want. I'm like, maybe just do what they want. But here's an example where that was not an option. And she didn't read the situation. And unfortunately, uh, she's not around anymore. Uh, and just debating about it all the time with people. It's like, it's a tough topic, you know? You know, I totally agree with what you said. And uh, it's important to understand, maybe to understand how stuff works here uh, in Kravaga in Israel. For me, for example, when I was in the Israeli prison service, there was a guy, uh, two guys, two prison guards, that uh, had to guard a prisoner in the hospital. Mm. In, uh, in that hospital, the prisoner got a hold of one of uh, the pistols of the prison guard and he just pointed out the pistol to his head and uh, you know the prison guard just yeah. got uh, cold feet did nothing and that yeah. guy that guy was convicted in murdering three people already mm. he just ran away from the hospital yeah. and he was caught something yeah. like a kilometer away but they asked me tell me do we uh, teach the prison guards how to handle firearms and I said of course not I need more time. So they gave me the time. And of course, they bought all of the dummies, the pistol dummies and so yeah. on. And they said, okay, from this point on, you will teach prison guards how to handle firearms, how to handle the gun threat. Mm. So this is how stuff works. If you find it inside the system, it means it was a, a need for it. Yeah. Okay. It's not just, uh, you know, let's teach something like I have a lot of criticism against all the original Krav Maga flying kicks, mm, you know, yeah. uh, with a spin. Yeah. I don't know why uh, why to teach it. So, yeah. of course, when I was young, they told me you do it to have better physical uh, capabilities. Mm. But now I say, okay, I can teach multiple things that will create more physical capabilities and will be effective in a, in a fight. Those kicks are bad. Yeah. In, uh, you know, to, to create physical uh, capabilities and so on. Yeah. So I think as Kramaga teachers, we need to understand that what we teach has its uh, effects on the student. Mm. And if you will not teach somebody something, it will have an effect. And if you will teach something, it will have an effect. Even if you are teaching a lot of high kicks, your student will use high kicks in a real life conflict for sure. How do I know? Because I use high kicks in a real life conflict and I did fell on my ass. Yeah. <laughs> and when I asked myself, why the hell inside a prison, for example, did I use a high kick? Yeah. And we have oil on the floor. Why did I do it? And I said, because I used to it. Yeah. And I saw the opportunity and raised my leg and I fell down. Yeah. So you need every time you need to think about it. If I'm teaching how to handle gun threats, am I teaching it to the proper population? Maybe I'm creating something that I don't want to create. Yeah. Maybe that population doesn't need it. And sometimes you teach it because it's part of Krav Maga and it's okay. You want yeah. them to maybe expand their horizons, but everything has its own as a effect on things. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's interesting what you said kicks because uh, like I don't have high kicks in my curriculum because I, I watched a few black belts of variety style do just that. They slipped and fall out. And then it's the I'm not teaching a middle-aged person walking in the door how to kick someone in the face. Uh, but then I see videos coming out of various in Israel organizations and they're doing the high kick stuff. And I'm like, 
I don't know what to think about that because like, hey, I'm watching the origins of Krav Maga and I'm like, but I, that's not to me what I should be teaching and I still see it. So it's, it's good to hear that uh, there are other people with the same mentality. <laughs> no, a lot of things, I think it's important to say this as well. A lot of things are really the original Krav Maga syllabus. There are a lot of things that you can see and you say, why? This is not Krav Maga, but it is Krav Maga. It's just yeah. the original syllabus because in my point of view, it was not a complete view. Hmm. Amy thought about things. People thought about things, but they didn't fully think about it. Yeah. Because things are revealing with time. When you practice with the, you know, as a, as a teacher, you practice a lot of things. And then with time you say, wow, I've been practicing it for, I don't know, five years now. And I see that the students, they are not reacting good to it. They are not becoming hmm. better at it. So maybe I shouldn't teach it. I should mm. think about another way to teach it or something else to teach. Mm. The same thing happened in Krav Maga, but it took a lot of years and the people were no longer working together. So in some gyms, you can see a lot of high kicks and like kickboxing style. Mm. Other gyms, you can see a lot of boxing. And in uh, other gyms, you can see a lot of groundwork. Everybody mm. are IMI students. They train with Imi, they train with each other, but they teach Krav Maga a bit different in their own gyms. Yeah. Partly because what I mentioned, they just, in some point, took their own path. Some of them remained in the old Krav Maga path, some of them creating a whole different thing. So now Krav Maga is just a term that create, uh, that uh, reflects a lot of styles, not mm. just a certain style, but... As I said, when I tried to do the, the forum in the Wingate College, I told yeah. the guys, they spoke a lot about the army and how important is the army for Krav Maga. And I told them, guys, you know what I learned in the army when I taught Krav Maga to Krav Maga instructors or would-be instructors that are already civilian instructors? That the Krav Maga guys, we have the same lingo. We mm. do the same things. We, we speak with the same terms. The basic approach is the same. Hmm. All we have to do is to find that basic approach upon it, Krav Maga was built. This is a yeah. challenge, actually. This is what yeah. I'm doing all the time. This is my, I don't know, my life mission currently, to find the DNA, the basic stone on which you can build all the styles on. Yeah. And if you're keeping that stone, you're still doing Krav Maga. If not, maybe you should think about what you're doing because a lot of dreams around the world Sometimes, even in Israel, of course, the term is Krav Maga. What you learn inside is something totally different. Mm. Totally different. Yeah, I think the uh, sort of the buzzword nowadays uh, is uh, first principles. Like, what's the first principle of Krav Maga? Like, the basic concept that you can build off of. Uh, and I, I've, I listen to, like, you know, a lot of intellectuals or like Elon Musk or people like that. And that's how they think about everything they do. It's what's the simplest, simplest thing that will work for the most amount of things and it'll solve the most problems. And, you know, I think that's, that's the sign of, you're right, like it's, that's a good, good Krav Maga program if you just sort of focus on that and work around it for sure. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think we're about an hour and a half. I think, I think I, it was a very productive conversation. I learned a lot for sure. Is there is there anything you wanted to add in that we didn't talk about or something I forgot that you think is important? Uh, no, 
no, maybe I would like just to say that I want to to conclude our conversation about the mm. stuff that I said. Because a lot of times when I speak up, uh, about Krav Maga with people, they get the, the wrong impression that I say, uh, no, guys, Krav Maga uh, is not good. You have to take Krav Maga and to learn more things around it and so on. Very important for me to say again, Krav Maga is a whole system. Its aim is to give tools to become a better person and to survive a real-life conflict. Mm. This is what we do. This is all we do. And I think when you are aiming for something, you are doing it quite well. Yeah. You can learn a lot of things. It will maybe help you in Krav Maga. It will make you a more uh, deep uh, Krav Maga practitioner or teacher. But Krav Maga can be the source of everything you do. Yeah. That's good. Wise words. Um, and if people want to train with you or contact you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Well, actually, through the social media, I'm very available through Facebook. Yeah. And I sent you the, yeah. the address for my I'll put those page. in the, uh, the links. Just uh, uh, Israeli Krav Maga Institute on Facebook and then uh, Krav Maga History and Culture. It's, uh, I always love the photos and those stories on that one. That's why I, I asked you because uh, I see that photo coming up all of the time. And I, I know there's gaps in my knowledge. So it's very good. So thanks for coming on, Ron, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And then I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> uh, thank you. Have a yeah. good night. I'll Absolutely. go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Thank you. You're listening to The Warrior's Day. The Warrior's Day. Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions. <laughs>